Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to have a returning guest back on the show, uh, one of my favorites uh, who comes on quite frequently, and we enjoy having him here. We'll get to that in just a second, but first, as always, we have to bring in the one, the only person who keeps this show running and greases the wheels of the Disaster Podcast, and that's Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Ah, oh, gee, thanks. Jamie, well, you do you do as well. It takes a team, right? It does. It does. How you been? Pretty good. Pretty good. We finally, uh, last time I talked to you, we were having a monsoon out here, but I think it's just back to our regular afternoon thunderstorm. So we're not we're not drowning anymore, well, which is good. good. But funny, I should mention that um, we're actually going to be talking about water tonight. Um, reason we bring this up and the reason we brought Dan on is because there's so much going on with the flood, the, you know, the dam break and the flood in Ukraine. And my IDMC, my nonprofit disaster organization, the, the coalition's total focus is on this. So just so you kind of know what we're doing, um, we're looking for the logistics uh, we got expertise in all kinds of areas, looking for water pumps, water, water filtration systems, power generators, medical supplies, as always, and whatever effect there may be on healthcare facilities. But it looks like that isn't as bad as it could have been. So because of that, and this is a daily thing, getting the intel on what's going on with that. And, of course, I think about Dan because anything that falls down <laughs> or gets underwater or, you know. If a, if a structure falls down in a forest and I'm not around to there to, to hear right. it, did it actually well, happen? Like, what the hell just happened here? Okay. But what makes uh, this obviously different, not only the fact it's in a war zone, but they had – other bizarre things happen, like mines that were buried were now up floating around in this water and hitting things and blowing up. So that's not something we generally see in a flood. Um, yeah. We also have the nuclear facility being affected by that, but I think they have that pretty much under control. And who but knew mines floated? I mean, I would have thought they would have not floated unless they were designed Some to float. Do. Yeah, I mean, well, the ones that they put at sea float, but the ones you bury in the ground, I didn't think they floated. But there you go. Well, that's sealed. <laughs> they did come up when we're floating. Vessel around. with air in it. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah. I I stand corrected, but obviously they are floating because they know. are floating up yeah. and, and blowing up, yeah. which is causing a whole Jeez. host of issues. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it, it seems as though they have that under control because, of course, they had they had to shut down some of the stuff in the nuclear facility. So there's just so many pieces to this besides the flood itself, besides all the displaced people and the humanitarian need. It's just crazy. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But, you know, Dan, you are going to have to kind of stretch your expertise here because when we're talking about recovery – all of these homes that were destroyed, they're a much different structure than we're used to here Boy. in the U.S. I don't know if yeah. you want to hazard a guess on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we can start, we can start there with, um, 
a I'll start first off with a, a thank you to someone who will remain nameless, but I am indebted to for sending me some really, really good um as factually as we can get it, um YouTube videos from uh Belarus. Um so I've got a friend over there and I was like, what do you know about this? Uh her, her family's pretty close to kind of both sides of uh, the the stuff over there. Uh, so big thank you to to my friend uh, for pointing me in so in a direction um, to get some of these things started. And one of the things that stood out as I was watching um, the so the YouTube channel, if you're if anybody listening is interested, it's uh, Maxim Katz, um, and he's um, I'm not sure if he's from Belarus or Russia, but anyway, he speaks Russian. So thank goodness for subtitles, because I don't speak Russian. Um, one of the things that stood out is, uh, if you remember your history, this same area was invaded by Nazi Germany in World War II. And they mm -hmm. spent decades rebuilding. And now they get to do it again. Well, the whole um, country is going to need to be rebuilt. Yeah. And so the... The upshot of that is that the Ukrainian people are experienced in this. Um, they know how to do it. They're very resilient. Uh, and one of the things that we talk about a lot at NERI is what does resilience really mean? It's the amount of time it takes a population or infrastructure to return back to functioning and whatever normal looks like. This is going to be a really long way back to normal. Um, some of the things that we're looking at, um, there's a really great article from the journal Nature. Um, before I get into that, I, I, what I really like uh, talking to you guys about is how do you find good sources of information on things that are developing? Um, so one of the things that I look for is a scientific journal like Nature, uh, because there's Sure, there's going to be bias everywhere that you look, um, but these types of uh, publications are motivated by what is the science, what does the evidence tell us, and uh, stay really uh, light on speculation. So uh, a lot of what this article talked about is that this is a, a pretty old dam. It's, uh, you know, uh, Soviet era, uh, you know, 66 years old, almost 70 years old. Um, and not very well maintained over the past couple of years, and also has been shelled multiple times because it's a bridge as well as a dam. Um, so something to consider uh, some of the scenarios um, of how this may have happened. Um, one of the more interesting ones to me is just not nefarious at all. It's in a war zone. Um, the Occupying forces of Russia got a little bit more to occupy their brain power than doing the daily maintenance on a really complex hydroelectric power station. And they just let it go and assumed that it would do its thing. And that's how you get a damn failure is by uh, not paying attention to the maintenance of critical infrastructure. Do you know what that bridge was made of, Dan? Or I don't know what I mean. Lots of concrete, lots and lots and lots of concrete, uh, concrete and steel. Yeah, I mean, I live I live near um, a dam on the Susquehanna River, 
at the top of the Chesapeake Bay, um, the Conowingo Dam, which is, goodness gracious, it's got to be at least 100 years old. I think it was made back in the mm-hmm. 1920s. And, um, you know, it's basically just a two-lane road across the top of the dam. It, you know, it's concrete at the top of the dam. So, um, you know, the, the floodgates run under the roadbed, um, and you can actually see, you can actually count how many gates are open as you cross the dam. Because they lift mm-hmm. up, you know, they're pulled up and are raised next to the roadside. So, um, but that just gives, you know, that, you know, that's a, that's how it's done here. And I'm sure it's not too awfully different from what's available over there. Yeah. We have some similar uh, dams on the Willamette River and the Mackenzie River in uh, here in Oregon, uh, a series of them actually. And yeah, there's, you know, big, heavy concrete structure with spillways going through to uh, allow for control over the water flow. And sometimes they uh, let the reservoir fill up. Sometimes they let it drain down based off of the the needs of upstream and downstream populations and um, power generation and all that. Um, Something that is unique about this dam is it's, um, as Sam mentioned, we've got a nuclear power station that feeds off of the reservoir for its cooling. And we also have a huge series of canals that irrigate an area of Ukrainian farmland that would not be able to get water to grow crops if it weren't for this reservoir, which is now gone. Um, so we have n- not only a humanitarian issue, but now a, 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 a ecological issue um uh i don't maybe an extreme term and i am going to really butcher this guy's name um oleksi vasiliuk <laughs> really woo. uh but he's, he's a ukrainian nature conservation group um member uh co-founder and an environmentalist he says this, you know it's just the tip of the iceberg and he calls it ecocide which it's not, you know, a very point, you know, pointed term, and not all that far off. Just considering, um, fifty-five thousand hectares of forest have been flooded, and it's going to be stagnant for at least twenty days. So just think about wetlands being flooded, as well as you know, city streets and um, all the infrastructure that goes along with that, and thinking about all of the. All the just normal stuff that is on the roads or in garbage bins or in yeah. industrial areas of a city that's now it going into the waterways in Ukraine. Jamie? Yeah, one of the things that I, I, I'm sure was an issue um, is something that they, they're concerned about with the dam here. Um, the the, um, the sediment that's built up behind that dam over the course of years of water coming down um, has layers of toxins um, that have mm-hmm. accumulated in it. And I'm sure that they're dealing with that as well, um, whether it's pesticides or, um, you know, there's, there's a big concern of, um, you know, cleaning out that sediment behind the Conowingo dam here uh, because they're afraid that there's a significant layer of DDT <laughs> buried oh in gosh. that sediment yeah. um, that would get washed downstream, would get into the fish, which would get into the bird population and cause the problems that, that DDT caused with the, the fragile shell syndromes. Um, mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, it's, it's, there's, and that's just one toxin, you know, heavy metals and other things that accumulate over time. And so imagine having all of that released downstream in a sudden flood. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. But getting back to a couple other things you said, Dan, um, you know, about the resiliency of the Ukrainian people, this is just another day in hell for them. I mean, <laughs> this will affect them a lot less than it would somebody who's not in this war zone and hasn't been fighting this since the beginning of time, at least for a couple of years. Um, so if any, any of them, can, you know, any country can deal with it, these people can. And you made the point that they are very resilient and they're very stubborn and they're going to see this through and, and there you go. The other thing was um, you asked about where the intel comes from. That's one of the things IDMC does for this very large a consortium of nonprofits who all have different roles in this venture. Many of them are boots on the ground in Ukraine, so that's kind of a, a you know, a, a direct line to wherever they happen to be and what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a lot of subject matter experts all over the world and different things that are plugged into what's going on. So we get a lot of good information. And your videos, I haven't had time to watch them, uh, but I'm interested in doing that. And we we have one that came from, I think, Med Global, one of our partners, that's showing the other side of that as we look for donations, you know, so we can get water pumps and filtration systems and things to send over there. So. Just thought I'd throw that in. But, you know, when we're talking about the – and we've talked about this in general when we're dealing with floods, which we had a lot of last year, um, the humanitarian needs. There were 700,000 people, you know, without homes, without electricity, without drinking water, and that's obviously way at the top of the list. You mentioned Mm -hmm. the crops, so that's going to affect their ability to, you know, not only get food but – their export um, right. on Which, health issues. You guys are talking about all the nasty stuff that's going to come up out of the soil. And I didn't think about it from what Jamie was says. Well, it affects the fish and the birds eat the fish. And oh my God, there we go. Yeah. Not that and we. It's, it's, it, uh, as you were mentioning crops again, I was like, oh, right. One of Ukraine's biggest exports is wheat to places like right. Somalia. And That's other places around the world that, I mean, they're already, uh, you know, down downstream effects of uh, the war in Ukraine that are now going to go on even longer, um, affecting other countries around the world that depend on exports from Ukraine, uh, which, you know, in the U.S. we don't really think about much, but, you know, they, they export quite a bit to uh, a few different countries that really depend on that. And it drives up food prices around the world um, and oil prices and, and other things uh, because of what's going on there. Yes. Yeah, so this will have a long range effect on more than one nation, not just Ukraine, unfortunately. So Danny, in general, when we're looking at, I mean, are any of these homes likely to survive? I don't know if the floodwaters have gone down all that much. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so when I've seen flooded homes, it was after Hurricane Harvey, um, and uh, we're going to go into pure speculation land here of 
how Ukrainian homes are constructed, but if they're anything like uh, homes in Texas, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm assuming there's uh, at least some something akin to drywall, right? So we have yeah. uh, one of the big things that happens after after a flood is you get mold and you get critters uh, growing in places where they ought not to be. And even if the structure is still sound, it can be so expensive to re rehab a home that it's it's just not worth um, the expense. And so many of these flooded homes, you may have uh, sediment, you may have uh, you know a foot or two of water damage. Um, they're going to be ripping out mud and muck and having to redo all of the interiors. Um, so even if the structure is sound, it's still going to be um, really, really expensive to rehabilitate these homes. You know, it's so sad because there's so much other parts of the country that are bombed out. And, you know, like I said earlier, the, the whole country's going to have to start over. So I guess this is mm -hmm. no exception, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like any of these homes would be probably be salvageable. Right. The other thing um, that's troubling about this, I mean, there's a lot of troubling things about this. Um, Russia is in control of the area that this dam is part of, and they are washing their hands of any responsibility for the collapse of the dam. They're not allowing any or not even saying that there should be any engineering investigation of the cause of this collapse because one could speculate that would mean they have violated the Geneva Convention, which one of the laws in there that um, is is in there for a reason to protect uh, civilian populations says in in war you cannot target civil infrastructure that a large population depends on, like dams and hydroelectric power structures. Um, so it's really tough to get it any reliable information about why this may have happened because those that are in control of it um, are, are not allowing anyone to, to investigate. Well, targeting the civilian populations is a whole separate issue. We don't need to get in. Yeah, yeah oh, not, this, this is more on the engineering side and, and the, yeah. the hazard side of it, but it's um, one of the things thing. that, if this was a normal flood, right? If this is a, a, a flood caused by rainwater or landslide or what have you, uh, we would have folks like our rapid reconnaissance team uh, going out there or the uh, any of the extreme events reconnaissance teams. There's a whole boatload of them uh, with different focuses. But they would go out with instruments. Uh, they'd probably survey the population and, and ask about the, um, the social impact of the event. Uh, they'd be taking LIDAR scans of the area so that other researchers from around the world could, uh, you know, use that information, uh, all sorts of things. But none of that is happening in this. <laughs> so it's going to be very difficult to understand um, the impact of this, uh, how we can learn from it, and and even what happened, uh, because you know, as more days go by, more information is lost about exactly what happened and how and and how things like this might be be prevented in the future. Jamie? 
Yeah, and to give you an example, we we'd already recently talked with you about the um, the earthquake in Turkey, and look at how the mm-hmm. international engineering community rallied together to start gathering information and speculation about building collapse, structural stability, and things like that. And none of that's able to happen here because of the war zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's really sad. Um, I expect, like Dan was saying, that, you know, even in other countries, they're, as people with other, other subject matter experts would send their teams in to help. But because of the fact this is in a Russian-controlled area, that's just not going to happen, which is too bad. And like you said, Dan, there's a lot that could be learned, especially for other dams in other countries that are similar to this. But we're going to lose all of that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. The one thing that um, I'm, I'm reading another article from uh, engineering.com, another another really good uh, scientifically focused uh, publication here. Um, how dams normally fail. This is one, something I was looking for. Like, what's the usual failure mode of the dam? I don't know. Um, I took one class in college on dams by accident. <laughs> well, it's generally um, bombs. I know that. <laughs> but one of the things that they talked about that's interesting, because dams have failed in the past, um, normally um, they would um, fail... Uh, where the concrete interfaces with the earth, with the ground. They usually start at the sides. Uh, and this is actually from a, a professor of engineering at the University of Maryland, uh, Gregory Bacher. Uh, so he knows what he's talking about. And so this is, you know, again, points back to something we can only speculate about, what uh, actually happened here, whether it's sabotage or what have you, some sort of internal explosion or um, lack of lack of maintenance and and uh, results from shells, things like that. Um, but just when we're looking at things like this from an engineering perspective, we got to ask, what is the normal failure mode for things like this, and what are the usual effects? Well, you know, that's a good point, because I hadn't thought about the fact that it was in Russian-controlled territory. But you would think if it was, in fact, some other failure, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense that they're going to blow up a dam in their own occupied area. But that would kind of get them off the hook politically Mm -hmm. if they would take Mm -hmm. to figure that out, don't you think? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. But I guess that's not where their focus is. Jamie? Well, I think, and and this is the military speculation that I've seen in our news here, is that the anticipation of an uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive this summer was something that flooding um, miles of area um, would somewhat hinder in, in some areas below the dam. If they were able to flood that area, it would make it difficult for Ukrainian forces to advance. And so it was, uh, it was speculated, and again, we're only speculating, but it was speculated that this, if it was intentional, that that would be one potential reason why it would have been done. Um, if it wasn't, and I agree with you, if it was a, an accidental failure or a failure as a result of um, artillery shelling in the course of the war, 
even if it was unintentional, I mean, dams were constructed to withstand water pressure, not necessarily uh, outside explosions from incoming artillery fire. Um, so there's only so much of that kind of structure can withstand before, you know, some kind of functional um, default, um, some kind of functional fault would start to build and could compound. I wonder if they're going to try to rebuild that dam eventually. I mean, it yeah, was, who knows? It had several purposes, but that would be a project, a very long project. Oof, yeah. But build it back better. Well, and that's the yeah, you know, that's the point. Who's that it's going to pay gonna for take, it? It's going to take decades yeah. to rebuild this, and that's after hostilities are completed, right? Um, right. And then if that happens, there's going to be a lot of discussion on does it need to be rebuilt? Is there another, you know, do they, do they need that dam in that place, or is there a better location for it now that we know other things? I mean, that that kind of thing, that kind of planning takes years and years to do before you even begin construction again. Right. Well, I'm quite sure if things go well for the Ukrainians that a lot of countries will be sending people to help them rehab and recover. Um, that would be a big part of the plan that probably wouldn't come sooner than a lot of other things. But who knows? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks, Dan. Um, I don't have much more than that about it, but I, I wanted to get your perspective on it because, you know, in fact, Jamie, Dan's going to help us out with his expertise over there with the uh, with the group. And uh, we Great. need someone with level of expertise. So, yay. Yeah, I hope to be. Yes, you will. And I'm, I'll send you the information on <laughs> joining up and uh we'll get you with the with the board to let them get to know what you do yeah but, that'd be uh, great. you always have fascinating information for us <laughs> if there if there's one thing i'm good at it's how to find information for people way smarter than me and talk about it in a way that makes sense that <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love that about you right jamie absolutely <laughs> I don't know what we do sometimes without Dan to be here to fill us in on what's going on and 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 um, how things can be made better for the next time. Um, that's one of the things we I most look forward to when disaster does strike is to find out what is being done to mitigate the next disaster. And it's always great to know that Dan and the other folks um, that on his team and, and with Nary in general are right there working on it all the time. Yeah, I, I did that definitely appreciate out? it, and <laughs> and we'll you know uh, say definitely thanks for for uh, from the entire Nary network, and uh, it's always inspiring to get to see what scientists and engineers are doing to help make our society more resilient. Um, on a positive note, and give you a little bit of an update on something non dam related here, um, I was just up at Oregon State University's uh, Wave Lab, which actually they probably should do it. I, project on this failure in the future so if, if anybody's listening and needs an nsf proposal idea uh this would be a really good one um anyway but they're do, uh there's a team up there led by tori tomachek from the naval academy and they are looking at the effect of mangrove forests in places like southeast asia on uh reducing the impact of tsunami and storm surge and they've made a huh. um 
a man-made mangrove <laughs> forest <laughs> in the wave flume at Oregon State is really, really cool. Um, I'm just always blown away by uh, the kinds of things that they, they build and, and test at places like that. That's fascinating because the mangroves, if I'm thinking correctly, are the ones with the roots that kind of grow down like stilts. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. Awesome. So really thick roots. And um, they're studying things like, um, you know, how dense do they actually need to be? And does placement matter um, in in being able to affect uh, waves coming on shore from either storms or, or tsunami? Fascinating. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. We'll have to hear more about that later on. Yes. Well, Dan, uh, Jamie, we always learn something from Dan, don't we? We absolutely do. And uh, we always appreciate him taking some time to come on from his busy schedule and, and, and time away from his family as well at this time of night. So uh, thank you, Dan. Um, where can folks find out more about what you and Neri are doing? Yeah, you can find us uh, on our website, designsafe-ci.org. Um, we're pretty active on Twitter in a few different ways, but if you just search at Nary Design Safe, uh, there's also the Nary Graduate Student Council and the user forum. Uh, they also have their own Twitter accounts. Um, and let's see, if you get on to Design Safe, you can join our Slack channel. It's free. And if you've got questions for engineers in the geotechnical space or wind engineers or coastal engineers, anybody like that, uh, you can ask them directly. Uh, or if there's a hurricane coming and you're wondering what's going on and who has the best sources of data, we do. Um, so it's free and available to the public, as is all of the data from all of our tests. If you're a scientist or, or an engineer or a graduate student working on a project, all of the data that Nary produces is free and open to the public. You just need to sign up for an account and you can use it. Fantastic. Cool. Always, awesome. always exciting to let folks know that that resource is there for them, and uh, and it's fascinating information. We've we've pulled on it and used it and linked to it in our shows for many episodes now, and can hope to do so again far into the future. So thanks again for coming on tonight, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, it's a pleasure. Um, we'd also like to thank uh, Joe Holly, uh, Dr. Joe, and the team at Paragon Medical Education Group for their continued sponsorship of the show. Uh, make sure you check out their website at paragonmedicalgroup.com. Uh, let them know that you appreciate their support by stopping over and visiting, um, leaving them a note to thank them for supporting the show all these years. And we do appreciate that. Um, so definitely check them out. Sam, where can folks find you? Well, on social media, under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 in our wonderful Facebook Disaster Podcast group and DisasterPodcast.com. How about you, Jamie? Folks can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations, so look me up or follow me there. Um, of course, our Disaster Podcast Facebook group is always growing and, and uh, an exciting place to uh, ask questions and check in on episodes. We link the episodes there, and when possible, we tag our guests so that you can ask them a question directly in the comments. So definitely head over there and check that out. Um, good episode tonight, Sam. I'm glad you jumped on this topic because it's, you know, something that's, uh, you know, lots of questions floating around out there, but also lots of concerns for responders, for, uh, people thinking about resilience and unusual situations like this. 
Yeah, Dan will be a real asset uh, with what we're trying to do in terms of this this flood. But it just goes to show you, too, that that no disaster is ever simple. Uh, The ramifications are astronomical. So we have to look at all sides of it. So, okay, folks, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week.